0: Chapter Twelve of Mrs. Balfame by Gertrude Horn Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Twelve. At the inquest on the following day, Mrs. Balfame, circumvested in crape, sat between Mr. and Mrs. Cummack, gracefully erect and without even a nervous flutter of the hands, when called upon to testify. She told in a clear, low voice the meagre story already known to her friends and by this time the common property of Elsinore and all that read the newspapers of the state. The coroner released her as quickly as possible and called her servant to the stand. Although the swelling in Frida's face had subsided somewhat under Dr. Anna's repeated ministrations, the tooth still throbbed and she also was released after announcing resentfully that she'd seen nuttings, heard nuttings, and didn't know nuttings about the murder, except having to get up and make coffee when she was like to die, with the ache in her tooth. There was no one else to testify except Cummock, who gave the hour, about a quarter or ten minutes to eight, when the deceased had left his house, and Mr. Giffning and his two guests, who testified to hearing the sound of Balfame's voice, raised in song, followed a moment later by the report of a pistol they also described minutely the position of the body when found indubitably the shot had been fired from the grove the staff artists were forced to be content with a black sketch of a very long widow who held her head high and emanated an air of chill repose one reporter camera set forced his way to her side as she was about to enter mrs battle's limousine and begged her plaintively to raise her veil. But he might as well have addressed a somnambulist. Mrs. Balfame did not even snub him. "'Why should they want a picture of me?' she asked Mrs. Battle, wonderingly. "'It's poor Dave that is dead. Whoever heard of me outside of Elsinore?' "'I guess you haven't amused yourself reading the papers. You've been written up as a beauty, and the intellectual and social leader of Elsinore.' some distinction that the public is mighty interested in you all over the state and will be for several days yet no doubt then we'll find the man and they'll forget all about the whole affair until the trial comes up mrs balfame clad in full weeds, more dignified stately and unapproachable than ever ran the gauntlet of staring eyes at the church funeral apparently unconscious of the immense crowd of women that had driven over from every township in brabant county that the women did not approve of her haughty head and tearless eyes brilliant even behind the heavy crape would have concerned her little if she had known it her mind was concentrated upon the future moment when this series of hideous ordeals would be over and she could re-enter the decent seclusion of private life mrs balfame may have had her faults but a vulgar complacence to publicity was not among them she had also made up her mind sternly not to feel happy not to rejoice in her freedom not to make a plan for the future until her husband was in his grave but all during that long service while the new parson discoursed unctuously upon the virtues and eminence of the slain she had the sensation of holding her breath it was four days from the night of the murder before she consented to see the reporters meanwhile every suspected person had proved an alibi including the red-haired miss foxy bell and the indignant and highly respectable miss mamie russ who officiated at the telephone she had known the deceased yes and once or twice she had driven out to one of the roadhouses with him where a number of her friends were indulging in a quiet Sunday afternoon tango, but she had merely looked upon him as a kind, fatherly sort of person, and at the hour of his death she was asleep, as her landlady could testify. Old Dutch had indignantly repudiated the charge of employing gunmen, and had even attended the funeral and shed tears. Whatever the faults of the deceased, They were not of a nature to antagonize permanently the erring members of his own sex. Moreover, he had been an able politician, respected of his enemies, and was now glorified by his cowardly and untimely taking off. The local police had an uneasy suspicion that the assassin was one of their pals, in that small and democratic community where every man was an elk from the banker to the undertaker. They were quite ready to drop the case loudly ascribing the deed to an ordinary housebreaker or to some unknown enemy from the impenetrable rabbit warrens of New York City The newspaper men were chagrined and desperate the balfame case had proved uncommonly magnetic to the New York public They had done their best to create this interest and now were on their mettle to make good but they were beginning to wish they had waited for at least a lantern's ray at the end of the dark perspective before exciting the public with descriptions of the winding picturesque old street of the ancient village of elsinore the stately old-time residence at its head which had housed in more or less discomfort three generations of balfames the sinister grove of trees that had sheltered the dastardly assassin the prominence and political importance of david balfame who had inherited this ancestral estate, and played among those trees in childhood. His unsuspecting and vocal return at an early hour to be shot down at his own gate. All this appealed acutely to a public which makes the fortune of the sentimental play, the crook play, and the play with a punch and a mystery. Here was the real thing, as rural as the childhood of many of the great New York public, weary of black-hand murders and anarchist bombs with a mystery as deep as ever invented by their favorite authors and in no remote district but at their very gates if anything more were necessary to rivet their interest there was the handsome and elegant if provincial mrs balfame as austere as a roman matron as chaste as diana as decently invisible in public during this harrowing ordeal as imported crape could make her. The men reporters had dismissed the widow with a paragraph of personal description, but the newspaper women had filled half a page in each of the evening journals. The press had given the public at least two columns a day of the Balfame murder. There had been a biography of every suspect in turn, and there had been the thrilling episode of the bloodhounds turned loose upon that trampled enclosure, But no road led anywhere and the public baffled for the moment, but still hopeful demanded an interview with the interesting widow of Course her alibi was perfect But all felt sure that she knew something about it Her unhappy married life was now common property and if it only could be proved that she had had a lover But the newspapers as has been said were discouraging upon this point mrs. Balfame Quoting the young men this time while amiable and kind to all was cold and indifferent Men were afraid of her the New York detectives had fine-tooth combed Brabant County and reported Disgustingly to their chief that she was just one of those club women no use for men at all The reporters however had made up their minds to fix the crime if possible upon her they would have compromised upon the young servant, but Frida, especially with her face framed in a towel stained brown, and her eyes swollen above the wrenching agonies of an ulcerated tooth, was hopeless material. Moreover, they were convinced, after thorough investigation, that the deceased Scallantries, while sufficiently Catholic, had not run to serving maids, and that of late, particularly, he had loudly hated all things German. Regarding Mrs. Balfame, they held their judgment in reserve until they met and talked with her. But Broderick had extracted the miserable details of her life from his friend, Alice Crumley, as well as a lively description of the scene at the country club. They believed they could bring to light enough to base a sensational trial upon, whatever the verdict of the jury. It must not be inferred for a moment that these brilliant and industrious young men were bloodthirsty they knew that if mrs balfame had committed the crime and could be induced to make a defiant confession it was more than probable that she would go scot-free that in no case was there more than a bare possibility of a woman of her age position and appearance being sent to the chair but it is these alert resourceful ruthless young men who make the newspapers we read with such interest twice a day It is they who write the columns of news that we skip if dull, with a mental reservation to change our newspaper, or devour without a thought of the tireless individual activities that resupply us daily with our strongest impersonal interests. Sometimes a trifle more sparkle, or vitality, or a deeper note, will wring from us that facile comment, How well written, without a pause to reflect that mere good writing never made a newspaper. Or to hazard a guess that behind the column that thrilled us were hours, perhaps weeks, of incessant unravelling of clues, of following a scent in the dark, with death at every turn. It is the business of reporters to furnish news of vital interest to a pampered public, and as so large a part of it is furnished to them by the weaknesses and misdeeds of mankind, what wonder that the reporters grow cynical. And make no bones about proving clues that will lead at the least to many columns charged with suspense and sensational human interest these young men knew the moment the balfame case broke that it was big with possibilities they scented a mystery that would be cleared by the arrest of no local politician and they knew the interlocking social relationships of these loyal old communities It was up to them to solve the mystery, and by a process of elimination, spurred by their own desire to give the public the best the market afforded, they arrived at Mrs. Balfame. Within 48 hours they were hot on her trail. Among other things they discovered that she was an expert shot at a target. But did she keep a pistol in the house? She had used one, kept for target purpose, out at the country club, and it was possible to verify the rumour that in common with many another she had one in the house as protection against burglars and tramps. At their instigation Phipps, the local chief of police, had reluctantly consented to interrogate her on this point, a mere matter of form, he assured her, and she had replied blandly that she had never possessed a pistol. The chief apologised and withdrew. He was of a respectable Brabant family himself, and was horrified that a member of the good old order should even be brushed by the wing of suspicion. Being a quiet family man, and a Republican to boot, he had never approved of Dave Balfame, and had only refrained from arresting him upon more than one occasion, notably a week or two since when he had publicly blacked the eye of Miss Billy Gump, out of deference to the good name of Elsinore, and, after all, they were both elks, and had spun many a yarn in the comfortable club-rooms. Inheritance, circumstances, and a fine common contempt for the inferior brands of whiskey had made them stand in together, whatever happened. The chief had no love for Mrs. Balfame, for she had frozen him too often, but she was the pride of Elsinore, and he was alert to defend her it had never occurred to mrs balfame that she would incur even a passing suspicion and she had left the pistol in the pocket of her automobile coat immediately after the visit of the chief of police she took the pistol into the sewing room locked the door covered the keyhole and buried the weapon in the depths of an old sofa as her large strong fingers had mended furniture many times no one would suspect that this ancient piece dating back to the first balfame had been tampered with She performed the operation with haughty reluctance, but the instinct of self-preservation Abides in the proudest souls and mrs. Balfame had the wit to realize that it was by far the better part of Valor The shooting occurred on Saturday night by Wednesday all the horrors of the criminal episode were over and she felt as young as she looked and at liberty to begin life again a free and happy woman Her morning was perfect. She made up her mind to see the newspaper men and have done with it. They had haunted the grounds. No patrols could keep them out. Sat on the doorstep, forced their way into the kitchen, and rang the front doorbell so frequently that hourly she expected the scowling Frida to give notice. Mr. Cummock told her repeatedly that she might as well give in first and last, and she finally agreed with him. It was five o'clock in the afternoon when they were admitted to the spacious, old-fashioned parlour, with its incongruous modern tones. Like many women, Mrs. Balfame had an admirable taste in dress, so long as she marched with the conventions, but neither the imagination nor the training to create a notable room. Long since she had banished the old-body Brussels carpet and substituted rugs subdued in colour, if commonplace in design the plush set had not gone to the auction room however but had been reupholstered with serviceable tapestry covering a whatnot still stood in the corner and both center table and mantel were covered with marble although the waxworks that once embellished them were now in the garret the wallpaper which had been put on the year before was neutral pale brown nevertheless it was a home-like room For there were two rocking chairs and three easy chairs and on a small side table was mrs balfame's work basket on the marble centre table was a most artistic lamp the curtains matched the furniture there were ten reporters from new york two from brooklyn three from brabant county and four correspondents word had been passed during the morning that mrs balfame would see the newspaper men and they were there in force those that were not on the job all the time having loyally been notified by those that were but they had stolen a march on the women not a sister was in that intent file led by james broderick of the new york morning news the tent the balfame house and parlour on wednesday at five o'clock frida had announced that her mistress would be down soon and mr Broderick immediately drew the curtains back from the four long windows and placed a comfortable chair for mrs Balfame in a position where she would face both the light and her visitors It was not the first stage that the astute mr Broderick had set and whenever he was on a case he fell naturally into the position of leader Not only had he the most alert and driving the most resourceful and penetrative mind But his good looks and suave manner inspired confidence in the victim and led him insensibly into damaging admissions. He was a tall, slim young man, a graduate of Princeton, not yet thirty, with a regular face and warm colouring, and an expression so pleasant that the keenness of his eyes passed unnoted. In general equipment and dress he was typical of his kind, unless they took to drink and grew slovenly. But his more emphatic endowment enabled him to take the lead among a class of men whom he respected too thoroughly to antagonize with arrogance. "'Late, to make an impression,' he growled, but young Ryder Bruce of the evening edition of his paper nudged him. Mrs. Balfame was on the staircase opposite the parlour doors. The young men stood up and watched her as she slowly descended, her black dress clinging to her tall, rather rigid frame, her head high, her profile as calm as marble.' her eye as devoid of expression as if awaiting the click of the camera. The reporters were prejudiced on the spot, so impatient a newspaper men of any sort of pose or attempt to impress them. As she entered the room she greeted them pleasantly, looking straight at them with her large, cold eyes, and allowed herself to be conducted to a chair by the polite Mr. Broderick. She knew that in her high, unrelieved black she looked older than common, but this was a deliberately calculated effect. She was not as adroit as she would have been after recurrent experiences with the press, but instinct warned her to look the dignified, middle-aged widow, quite above the coquetry of the bare throat of fashion, or the tempering of weeds with soft white lawn. As Mr. Broderick made a little speech of gratitude for her gracious reception of the press, she appraised her guests the greater number were well-groomed well-dressed well-bred in effect very sure of themselves altogether a striking contrast to the local reporters that had come in on their heels she answered mr broderick diffidently i have never been interviewed i am afraid you will hardly find what do you call it a story in me we don't wish to be too personal he said gently but the public is tremendously interested in this case, and more particularly in you. It isn't always that it takes an interest in the wife of a murdered man, but, well, you see, you are such a personality in this community. We really must have an interesting interview. He smiled at her with a charming expression of masculine indulgence that made her own eyes soften. You see, don't you, we hate to intrude, but... We understand that you had a serious quarrel with your husband on the last day of his life. Would you mind telling us what you did after leaving the country club? She gave him a frozen stare, but recalled Mr. Cummock's warning not to take offence. For remember that these men have their living to get, and if they fall down on their job, they don't get it. Blame their paper, not them. That is a surprising question, she said sweetly. Do you expect me to answer it? Why not? Of course you read the newspapers. You know we have told the public of the scene at the clubhouse already, and with no detriment to you. It was a very dramatic scene, and every moment that you pass from that time until Mr. Balfame fell at his gate will be of the most absorbing interest to the public. In fact, they will eat it up. Mrs. Balfame shrugged her shoulders as a matter of fact. I have not read a newspaper since the she set her lips and her eyes grew hard The crime I know you have written a great deal about it, but it hasn't interested me Well, Dr. Anna Stoya drove me home and shortly after I went up to my room Pardon me let us take things in their turn you took a box of sardines and some bread from the pantry did you not? I did. Mrs. Balfame's tones were both puzzled and bored. And then you were interrupted. As she raised her eyebrows, he continued, the appearance of the sardine can indicated that. She gave him a brilliant smile, her substitute for the average woman's merry laugh. You are teaching me how they write those intricate detective tales my husband was so fond of. It is true that I was interrupted, but it is equally true that I should probably have left the can as you found it, in any case. for I soon realized that I was not hungry. I had had sandwiches at the club, and although I always think it best to eat something before retiring, I was hardly hungry enough for sardines. You ate sandwiches at the club? I have been out there once or twice and never saw... "'I was under the impression that during the afternoon "'the young people danced and the matrons played bridge "'before an early dinner. "'Did you?' "'Mrs. Balfame's eyes and tones abashed even Mr. Broderick, "'and he tapped hastily. "'Oh, well, that is immaterial, as the lawyers say, "'and, of course, you ladies may have sandwiches "'served in the bridge-rooms. "'May I ask what interrupted you?' "'My husband telephoned from Mr. Cummock's house,' that he was obliged to go to Albany at once and asked me to pack his suitcase. Yes, we have seen the suitcase. You suggested, did you not, over the telephone, making him a glass of lemonade with aromatic and bromide in it. Mrs. Balfame experienced an obscure thrill of alarm, but her haughty stare betrayed nothing. One of the reporters, whose job it was to watch her hands, noted that they curved rigidly. And may I ask how you found that out really, I think I feel even more curiosity than you do. He told it to Cummock and the other men present as a good joke, adding that you knew your business. I did. The matter had passed entirely out of my mind. More momentous things have happened since. Well, I made the glass of lemonade and left it on the dining-room table. Then I went upstairs and packed his suitcase. One moment, what became of that glass of lemonade? No one remembers having seen it, although I have made very particular inquiries. Mrs. Balfame, by this time, was quite cold, but her brain was working almost as quickly as Mr. Broderick's. She uncurved her fingers and smiled, but her keen brain-sword had one edge only. The other was dull with inexperience. She knew nothing of the vast practice of newspaper men in detecting the lie. Oh, I drank it myself. She had drawn her brows for a moment as if in an effort of memory. When I heard the noise outside, when I heard them say coroner, and I realized that something dreadful had happened, I ran downstairs. Then I suddenly felt faint and remembered the lemonade with the aromatic spirits of ammonia and bromide in it. I ran into the dining room and drank it, fortunately. And what became of the glass? Oh. Mrs. Balfame was now righteously indignant how do I know or anyone else Frida soon after began to make coffee by the court And I don't doubt whiskey was brought round from the Elks who could have noticed a glass more or less Frida swears she never saw it She has the worst memory of any servant I ever had and that is saying a good deal Mr. Broderick regarded her with admiration He distrusted her more every moment, but he had realized at once that he had no ordinary woman to deal with, and he rejoiced in the clash of wits. The other young men were sitting forward, almost breathless, and Mrs. Balfame was now fully alive to the danger of her position. But all sensation of fear had left her, all the iron in her nature fused in the crucible of those terrible moments, and came forth finely tempered steel. Anything more? Oh, ah, uh, yes. Would you mind telling us what you did after you had packed the suitcase and brought it downstairs? I went up to my room and began to undress for bed. But that must have been quite fifteen minutes before Mr. Balfame's return. He walked from Cummock's house, which is about a mile from here. It was noticed that you merely had taken your dress off. Would you not have had time to get into bed? if i were a man but i had my hair to brush with fifty strokes and a little nightly massage if you will have it besides i had intended to go down and lock the front door after my husband had left ah the admiration of the young men mounted higher they disliked her coldly if only for that lack of sex magnetism which men particularly young men naive in their extensive surface psychology take as a personal affront they did not believe a word she said but they did not give her and her possible fate a throb of sympathy but they generously pronounced her a wonder mr. Broderick took a chance shot and did you not during that time look out of the window toward the grove mrs. Balfame hesitated the fraction of a minute then wisely returned to her know-nothing policy why should I certainly not i heard no sound out there i am not in the habit of examining the grounds from my window at night it is enough to go through the lower rooms before i lock up but your window was dark when the men ran over from gifnings after hearing the shot they remember that did you brush your hair and and massage in the dark mrs balfame sat back in her chair with the resigned air of the victim who expects an interview with inquisitive newspaper men to last all night. No, but I sometimes sit in the dark. I told you that I intended to sit up, partly dressed, until my husband had gone. I did not feel like reading, and my eyes were tired. As you know so much, you may have guessed that I cried a little, after that trying afternoon. I do not often cry, and my eyes stung. But you had forgiven your husband? I have forgiven him many times before. I infer that you know that also. Mrs. Balfame, is it not true that about two years ago you contemplated obtaining a divorce? This time her eyes flashed with anger. I see that my kind friends have been gossiping. You would seem to have interviewed everybody in town. Pretty nearly, but you don't seem to realize that Elsinore Brabant County for that matter has talked of nothing else but this case for the last four days I did think of a divorce for a short time But I never mentioned it to him and as soon as I thought it all out I dismissed the idea in the first place divorce is against the principles of the school in which I was brought up and In the second mr. Balfame has a good husband in his way Every woman has some sort of heavy cross to bear and I guess mine was lighter than most The trouble is we American women expect too much. I dismissed the subject so completely from my mind that I had practically forgotten it. Ah, yes, we thought you might have seen someone lurking in the grove and gone down to investigate. This was another chance shot. He was hoping for a lead. Mrs. Balfame thought him inspired. For the moment the cold, brilliant eyes of the woman and the keen, contracted eyes of the reporter met and clashed. Then Mrs. Balfame displayed her teeth in her sweet and charming smile. "'What a truly masculine inference! You don't know me. If I had seen anything, I should have flown to the telephone and called the police.' "'You look indomitable,' murmured Mr. Broderick. "'But you will tell us how it happened, that you did not hear the shot. The men down at Giffning's did.' They were standing on the porch, and I think now that I did hear the shot, but my windows were closed. I hear tires burst constantly, and that was Saturday night. The machines turned off just below our gate into Dorbarn Street, especially if they are bound for Beryl Myrtle's Roadhouse. True, Roderick leaned forward, staring at the carpet. He permitted the silence to last quite a minute. Even Mrs. Balfame, who had congratulated herself, that the inquisition must be nearly over stirred uneasily so sinister was that silence the other men knew the broderick method too well to spoil one of his designs they sat in expectant stillness and turned upon mrs balfame a battery of eyes suddenly broderick raised his head and his sharp boring gaze started into hers i had not fully intended to tell you of a discovery made by one of us yesterday We have told no one as yet waiting for the right moment to publish it, but I think I'll tell you There is evidence that two revolvers were fired that night One killed David Balfame and a bullet from the other Penetrated the tree before the house and slightly to the right of where he must have stood for a moment Bruce here dug it out Now not only did the men at gifning's not hear two shots indicating that they were fired simultaneously but one bullet came from a thirty-eight and the other from a forty-one Mrs.. Balfame stood up really gentlemen I did not consent to see you in order to help you solve riddles But possibly you know better than I that gunmen generally travel in pairs. I am convinced that my husband They applauded her for not saying my poor husband was killed by one of those creatures hired by his political enemies Unless I can tell you something more of interest, if indeed you have found anything to interest the great New York public in this interview, I will ask you to excuse me. The young men were politely on their feet. And you have no pistol, nor ever had? She laughed outright. Are you trying to fasten the crime on me? Oh, no indeed. Only, in a case like this, one leaves no stone unturned. I hope you do not think we are rude I only just realized that quite the most polite young men. I have ever met have been hoping to make me incriminate myself if I had not been so dense I should have dismissed you long since good night and Once more looking human in her just indignation she lifted her proud head and swept out of the room the young men left the house and adjourned to a private room in the rear of their favorite saloon For twenty minutes they rehearsed the interview carefully, those that had taken notes correcting any lapses of memory on the part that those had elected to watch as well as listen. Broderick and many of the men were firmly of the opinion that Mrs. Balfame had committed the crime. Others believed that she was shielding someone else. The less experienced were equally positive that no guilty woman taken off her guard repeatedly, as she had been, could put it over like that, and had talked and acted like an innocent woman. She acted all right, said Broderick. I, for one, am convinced that she did it. But whether she did or didn't, she's going to be indicted and tried. This case, boys, is too big to throw away, too damned big, and she's already a personality to the public. She's the only one we have the ghost of a chance with, the only one whose arrest and trial would keep the interests going. But say it was the youngest reporter that interrupted i call it low-down to fasten a crime on a possibly innocent woman a lady keep her in jail for months try her for murder why even if she were acquitted she would carry the stigma through life don't get sentimental sonny said broderick patiently sentiment is to the vanquished in this game when you've been at it as long as the rest of us you'll know that in nine cases out of ten The real solution of any mystery is the simplest Balfame drank he had a violent temper when drunk. He was a dog at best She must have hated him look at her We have reason to believe that she did hate him and that her friends knew it She thought of divorce two years ago gave it up because she was afraid of losing her leadership in this provincial hole look at her she is as proud as Lucifer and as hard as nails There had been an ugly scene at the club that afternoon. He mortified her publicly. She was so overcome she had to leave. I've a hunch she poisoned the lemonade and got it out of the way in time. She's the sort that would think of nearly everything. Not quite, of course, otherwise she never would have invented on the spur of the moment that story about drinking it herself. She'd have had the assumption on tap that one of the neighbors had drunk it, that complication, however, is yet to prove. It merely points a finger at her. Straight. What we've got to prove and prove quick is that she was out of doors when the shot was fired. Would you like to see her in the chair? Gasped young Loring. Good Lord, no! Not the least danger. Women of that sort don't go to the church. If she even got a term, I'd had a position to let her out, for she's a dead game sport. And I'm only after good front-page stuff. He turned to Ryder Bruce of the evening edition of his newspaper. You make love to that German hired girl. She hates us all, for we represent the real American press. That hasn't a hyphen in it. I sense that. And I don't believe she's all the fool she looks. I believe she can tell something. Few servants that can't. And she only pretended at the inquest that she knew nothing because she was nearly dead with pain and wanted it over Well, she had the tooth out this morning and at least she isn't quite as hideous as she was so go to it old boy Get round her and do it quick use money if necessary There's not a day to lose Find out what she wants most probably is to send her sweetheart at the front something more substantial than mitts and bands got me I get you, said young Bruce gloomily. You've picked me out because I'm blonde and round-faced and can pass myself off as a German. I wish I'd been born an Italian. Nice job making love to that. But I'll do it. Good boy. Well, so long. I'm off on a trail on my own. I'll report later. Maybe nothing in it. End of chapter 12